I'm Effie Parks. Welcome to Once Upon a Jane, the podcast. This is a place I created for us to connect and share the stories of our not-so-typical lives. Raising kids who are born with rare genetic syndromes and other types of disabilities can feel pretty isolating. What I know for sure is that when we can hear the triumphs and challenges from others who get it, we can find a lot more laughter, a lot more hope, and feel a lot less alone. I believe there are some magical healing powers that can happen for all of us through sharing our stories, and I'll take all the help I can get. Hi, everybody. I am so excited for you to listen to my conversation with my new friend. There is so much good information in here. I know you're going to be just as inspired and proud of her mom skills as I am. She is definitely a force in the rare advocacy world. I was listening to our conversation today and I got all choked up at this one part in the story and I realized I heard myself in the recording choked up at the same exact spot. I'm going to try to include some important links that she mentions in our show notes if I can figure out how to elevate this podcast experience for you. Otherwise, I'm going to need you to have a paper and a pen handy because you're going to want to jot this down for sure. She is currently the executive director of Team Telomere, a Global Genes Rare Foundation Alliance Council member, an advocacy liaison to the Telomere Consortium, and a Nord member leader. Did you get all that? Girl is getting stuff done. Anyways, let's get started. Here is my girl, Katie Stevens. Hi, Katie. Hey, Effie. Hi, thank you for talking to me today. You are welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to meet you. We we share a couple best friends and it's funny this world is so small. Every time I friend a new mom on Facebook, we already have a couple other moms mm-hmm. in common through this network of disability and genetic syndromes. Yep. So it's it's just funny how small it is sometimes. It is. It and I always say, you know, we're rare but we're not unique in our struggles. So <laughs> Um, yeah, that's a really yeah. good way to put it, even though sometimes we feel completely yep. alone. Okay, so my friend Kelly actually mentioned you to me because over the years I've been just kind of getting a little more active and, you know, finding my voice a little more. And she was like, you have to talk to my friend Katie. Oh, my God, Katie's like this advocate mom. And I've seen that you are called Advocate online and that oh, yep. cracks me up. Mm-hmm. I love it. So that's what your name is, okay. Advocate. So why don't you just tell me a little bit about your son and kind of where this all began for you? Sure. Um, You know, what's funny is we actually had his anniversary of his diagnosis last week. My husband and I had to sit there and go, is it six years or seven years? Like how how old is Riley? So um, (laughs) Riley was diagnosed when he was 11. So in 2012, so we're on the seventh anniversary of his diagnosis. We really had very little idea that he was sick. I can look back now and realize that he was sick and see all of the markers and signs. But up until that day, October 5th, I knew something was a little bit off because he was bruising really easily. He had a mosquito bite that had um, an ex- just a very large hematoma on his thigh. And that was in August. And his doctor was like, well, you know, if it was leukemia, we'd see it really more in the soft parts, like a lot of bruising. And why don't you just wait until he has a day off and we'll run some blood tests. And that was eight weeks. He had a a day off in eight weeks. And he knew that because school was starting and 
He's like, that's fine. So really like my alert level, my sense of urgency was not at all triggered until probably the night before when I just got that very like, I looked at my husband and I was like, I think something's really wrong. And I had no reason to think that other than just my mom instinct. Magic of intuition. He went and got a blood draw. He turned blue a couple hours later around his lips. And his doctor was like, yeah, that's not good. You need to get him to the ER. I had thought, because he'd been coughing for a while, I thought, well, maybe he has pneumonia. Maybe he's not getting enough oxygen. But his doctor was like, it's probably more to do with the 22 vials of blood that we just drew than the actual pneumonia. We went to Kootenai Medical Center, which is, I live in Northern Idaho. So very small hospital, not pediatric. They came in with the test results from his blood count and said, you need to get him in the car and you need to get him to Sacred Heart in Spokane now. So we went from sort of no sense of urgency, eating a sandwich at Costco, ER, and now we're on the hematology oncology floor waiting to find out if our child has leukemia or bone marrow failure. So yeah, that was our beginning, our dip into, into rare. And we were sort of all stemming from what you thought was a mosquito bite. Whoa. Okay, so you're driving to Spokane to go to a bigger hospital with some more specialists. And then what? We knew that his platelets were only... So platelets are what keeps your body from bleeding out. It's it's what clots your blood when you get injured. And um, a normal range would be 150 to 450,000. And his counts were 12,000. Um, so we knew something was very, very wrong on the way to Sacred Heart. His doctor that was his hematologist came in and said, you know, like I said, it was either leukemia or it was aplastic anemia. And he did a bone marrow biopsy. The diagnosis came in at aplastic anemia. We thought that was a better diagnosis than leukemia because everybody knows cancer and everybody kind of knows mm-hmm. that cancer is big and scary. But then you find out in the rare, and leukemia is actually, if you look at it, pediatric leukemia is a, is a rare disease category itself. I remember looking for resources to help us with co-pays and, you know, those kind of things. And the guy that was helping me said, you are going to find that you are a little tiny island in an ocean of cancer. Resources are going to be very difficult to come by. And I've always thought of that. And then as time went on, we had done a frontline treatment for aplastic anemia Um, Neither one of my children, I had three children at the time, were sibling matches for Riley. We were working with Seattle Children's, and they had suggested the frontline treatment, which is called ATG for aplastic anemia. We went ahead and went through it. He started that on Halloween, so poor kid had to give up. He gave up pretty much every holiday from then on, but started ATG on Halloween. There's usually a 12-week, you know, sort of interim where you hope that they'll start responding that those counts will start going up. He did not respond. And if he had any sort of response, it was sort of a fluke. And so his doctor had gone to a hematology conference. It's called ASH, the American Society of Hematology, and had seen a presentation on telomere link testing and inherited bone marrow failure. And he had tested Riley pretty much for everything because at that point it was idiopathic. He had no idea why he was in bone marrow failure. He just was. And not just a little bit bone marrow failure, he had no counts, hardly at all, in his red blood cells, white blood cells, or platelets. So he was in complete marrow failure. They ran the telomere length test. It came back, and it was less than the first percentile. Mm -hmm. So, you know, anybody that's listening that doesn't know what telomeres are, it's the end cap of your DNA, and it works like an aglet of a shoelace. It keeps your 
your DNA, your shoelaces from unraveling. And most people are born with long telomeres. And as you age, it shortens. As it shortens, you, you know, you gray, you get sick, you, your marrow fails, you die. Like that's sort of the human aging process is you just, as you age, your telomeres are shorter and shorter. And Riley's telomere length was that of an 80 to 90 year old person at age 11. I guess he was probably 12 when those test results came in. And at this time I was about four months pregnant with our fourth child, getting genetic testing that showed he was actually a familial bone marrow failure condition instead of an idiopathic aplastic. That's really where our island, we went from an island to like a rock. We were standing on like this little <laughs> little rock. So yes. yes, you were. I love that you got your diagnosis so yeah. early, I, yep. I guess, you know, from this mosquito yep. bite. But is this something that maybe could have been tested for through a regular blood panel when he was a baby? Are these tests specific enough that they would never have been ran before? They would have never been ran before. So Riley has sort of a different telomere biology disorder spectrum. He is very unaffected, as affected as he was at the time with the bone marrow failure. A lot of kids, you're going to see it very early on. They don't produce fingernails. They have lacy skin. They have whites on their tongue. Those telomere length tests through those, you know, classic symptoms are probably going to be picked up on more. That doesn't mean that, you know, I, I wish, right. I wish through a normal CBC, we had a baseline at least and, sure. and could kind of sure. watch that because you look at CBCs and they're like $30, right. The insurance. And, yeah. and then you look at Riley and we had no baseline for him. We didn't know if he had been sick or if, you know, he had always had low counts and this was just, you know, a a giant drop. So yes, yes and no, if that makes sense. So you don't necessarily want to diagnose people if they or or add anxiety, but at the same time, like I am very much a proactive get ahead of it before the symptoms are are too bad to get ahead of. Definitely. I feel like the spectrums in all of these rare genetic syndromes are a bit frustrating, especially in a case mm-hmm. like this. Whereas you wouldn't have seen it until later yep. with Riley. So after talking to a lot of parents, I've kind of I've kind of realized that it kind of goes one way or the other with parents. I I don't know how else to explain it other than there's kind of the doers and the Mm -hmm. feelers. Now, I know that you're pregnant, so this might totally skew. (laughs) But when did you go into action mode or did you right away after you knew what was going on with Riley's health? How did you get into this? world that you're in right now of such powerful advocacy. So there's two parts to it, right? Like there's an advocate and then there's just being a mom and fighting for my child that was actively dying. I've always been research oriented, no matter what I was doing. Like right now I'm growing out my hair, my gray hair, and I'm like researching all the ways to do that properly. Like as silly as that sounds, but I'm a hairstylist. I hear that all the time. Yeah. Okay. So that's just, that's just my mode. Like whether I was pregnant, I was reading everything. And so I definitely was asking questions that maybe the nurses and doctors hadn't heard before. Like Mm -hmm. what specific cells and how is this breaking down and what does this do? And then we knew that a sibling match would be a, a better chance at Riley living. And I was only 29, almost 30 at the time. And I looked at my husband, I was like, we have got to try and say we tried because if he dies from not having a sibling match in my head at that time, which was very 
my world was very small from what I knew of science and the genetics and all of it. We got pregnant. But then it, the telomere length testing came back short, right? And that threw us in a whole different category. And so that category, I had to be the most informed in the room. His doctor didn't have experience with it. We flew out to Camp Sunshine, which hosts a biannual camp for um, Team Telomere still does this. It's a biannual camp for families like ours where we were put in front of eight to 10 specialists. There's, you know, there's not very many specialists in this disease. We are a buzzword, like telomeres are a very popular word. So there's a lot of science around it. Yeah, you got lucky there. Yep. But I also had to move 3000 miles away from my child to be properly treated. That's right. So you, you moved to Boston with Riley for his transplant? Correct. So they called you one day, they found a match and you left to Boston. Yep. He had a bone marrow transplant. So, well, sort of, we knew that he needed a match in case ATG didn't work. And so they had put him into the National Marrow Registry. Riley had very simple coding because Josh and I are both from the same sort of Western European origin, which is what your HLA, um, it's a protein that sits out on the outside of your cells that has Mm -hmm. to be matched for you to not reject a new system. So Seattle was offering one form of transplant We had learned about Boston's transplant and we flew out to Boston. We interviewed the doctor there. Riley, um, I'll never forget his transplant doctor looking at me. He turned to me. Riley was, you know, 13, 14 at the time. And he said, all right, mom, thanks. But I'm going to turn the conversation to Riley because this is Riley's (laughs) transplant and this is Riley's body. And I was sort of just like floored, like nobody had treated Riley like he was in the room really to that point. We flew out to Seattle or we drove to Seattle. We flew home, drove to Seattle and, you know, they came in with a legal pad and nothing. Seattle Children's is wonderful. We just had one bad experience for us, right? I would never say it's I would definitely say if it's an option, go to Seattle Children's. For us and our our experience at that moment, it was not the best experience. They came in with a legal pad. They didn't come in with his records. They never looked or spoke with Riley, sent us down to get labs, said, you know, he's not really a telomere. He's got short telomeres, but he doesn't have the rest of it. So I don't think we need to worry about it. We're going to go ahead and do the regular, you know, alkylating chemo and uh, radiation. And Josh and I both were like, you know, as the Boston physician had said, DC, which is the dyskeratosis congenita of the telomere biology disorder, DC or not DC, his body's telling us to treat him like he's DC. And so I was like, well, I asked Riley, I was like, how do you feel? And he's like, where do you want to go? And the whole time he was like, I want to stay close. I want to be near my siblings. I want to be near dad. I want to be in Seattle. And I said, well, it's six hours in the car or it's six hours on a plane. Either way, it's six hours. And he said, then I want to go to Boston. And not that my child got to make that end choice, but I definitely left. Absolutely. It is so important for the patient to feel empowered in their decision making. So, so that's, that's, and we went and we have a really good story. We have a a very atypical transplant story. He went in, he got his cells. We life flighted them from his donor in Germany. He got his cells. He engrafted 32 days later, sort of late in the game. And that was it. He left the hospital and he never went back to the hospital other than, you know, our checkups. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. I know. <laughs> 
So here he is graduated from high school. He wrestled, he played track, you know, the biggest thing for Riley is he, he wanted to go to the grocery store. He was so immune compromised for so many years. He didn't go to school for three years. He just wanted to go to the grocery store. Like that was, that was his thing. I saw your post actually. (laughs) I (laughs) I saw your post about just going to the grocery store from a caregiver perspective. And I just could relate to you so much in that moment. I was like, I just know, like, well, I love that. So the transplant is, did you guys find a match just from that simple sort of swab that everyone in the world can do and just put their, put their stuff in a bank? Yes. Wow. Yep. So I know. And it's, um, it was funny because even our baby, we were swabbing his cheek. That's all it takes is just swab. I was swabbing my baby's cheek to see if he was a match and he was not. We ended up with no siblings that were a match. Apparently the other three have very complicated HLA. I don't know why, but that's the way it is. (laughs) So how do we do that? How do we give whoever we give our DNA to, to be put in a, in a donor transplant list? Yeah. So a lot of, a lot of Caucasians, theirs comes from Germany. Germany has an incredible program where everybody gets signed up for it. In America, you can go to bethematch.org and you can also go to delete blood cancer. And both of those are phenomenal to work with. Team Telomere, which is who I, you know, I, I lead that organization. We work with both. Um, they both fall into the National Marrow Registry. It's as simple as going online, signing up. They send you a kit, you swab your cheek, and you send it back. And then I would definitely say, do not sign up unless you are very willing to donate because we did have two donors turn us down. And if those were had been the only two donors that Riley had to save his life, Riley wouldn't be here without his donor. And we had two people say no to us for whatever their reasons. But I would just recommend like who it sounds really fun and this is awesome and I'm going to sign up, but be, be willing to commit to that life-saving what am I trying to say? I mean, I, I agree. Uh, I think that's really important. It's, a, it's an important caveat to put there. You can't just get someone's hopes up when it is, you know, the life of their child. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Because yeah. we know there's a match and then we have to wait for the donor to say, yes, that'll work yeah. for me. And, you know, now knowing his donor, his, he was like, I would do it again in a heartbeat. Like it was no, it was no big deal. And that's a really beautiful thing for him to say again, like I would do this yeah, again. I, and he was 24 wow. at the time. What a badass. So, yeah, I know. <laughs> he's he's pretty amazing. Yeah, I think most people have this idea that it's extremely painful to do it. And maybe it is, but I like that he said that. You know, I I think I can empathize with that. But I also watched my child every three months get a bone marrow biopsy, which is essentially sort of the same thing. Um, you're going to feel fluish for about a week. So if you can put up with that and there is some risk, you know, there's always risk involved when it's medical. I'm not going to, I'm not going to discount that, but it's also like you put up with six, seven days of discomfort so that I can have my child for a lifetime. All right. I'm signing up. (laughs) I've been meaning to for a long time, but after talking to you, I'm signing up. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you. So you're currently the executive director of Team Telomere. So you're on the board. Um, I am actually not on the board. I'm not a voting member. I am an actual staff. Um, we have two staff members, myself and my assistant. 
And so that was a big deal. Like Team Telomere has been around. Um, it was formerly Dyskeratosis Congenita Outreach, which was a mouthful. And so we did the name change just purely, well, to attract scientists, a lot of that, and to really make sure that we were supporting all those spectrums in the telomere biology world. I was board president at first, and then we made a strategic plan and decided that they would hire me because there probably was nobody that was going to work for so little and work (laughs) so hard. So um, I love, I love my job. And at Global Genes, I recently said, you know, I am in a position where I don't have to be a caregiver to my child because he is better, but I get to be a caregiver to this community in this science that I understand in this path that I've walked. Mm. So I'm very, I'm very fortunate to have found my calling in a way that was not fortunate. Sure. Yeah. And I love that you're able to devote the time to it now because you're right. You're not a full-time caregiver anymore to a sick yep. kid. Yep. And that, that's, that's a big deal. Yeah. Like you need to be as, as advocates, you know, we do as much as we can with what, with what space and time we have. And I think sometimes like I, I watch and it's not a judgment at all, but it just sometimes can break my heart is how hard people have to fight and that time and energy in that fight that they could be spending with their child that is sick or their loved one that is sick or on themselves. And it's frustrating in the rare world because you really are your own doctor, insurance, yeah. fighter, everything. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir. I know that. Yeah, it'll definitely break you down on certain days. Yep. Yeah. So so what's your goal with Team Telomere? What are, what are you doing? So um, we have three very dedicated programs. We are outreach, we are advocacy, which are two very different things, and we are research. And so the outreach is sort of like, if you think about a pyramid, we have a caregiver, or I mean, a care package program. And the care package is letting that person know when they're on their little rock on the island in the ocean, that they have community. And so we send out a care package, no matter where anybody is in their journey, if they are, you know, at end of life decisions, and that's when they find us, we make sure that that patient gets a care package. And that's been a beautiful program because it brings people outside of the community. They, they make blankets. It has a blanket. We put the clinical guidelines for treatment to give to their treating physicians who may have never seen a patient like this so that the caregiver and patient can be educated. Mm-hmm. And then we like to, you know, if there's siblings involved, we generally put in a couple books and a water bottle and, you know, just some team telomere swag in there. Awesome. So that's the very beginning. Right. And then, and then they are in a community, right. It's coming to them. There's hope and education in a yeah. box. And then um, we started a program called family days and I travel around to different regions and bring people together that normally wouldn't have probably known that there was other patients because of HIPAA and those kind of things. And so we work with institutions like Cincinnati Children's, Boston Children's, Texas Children's. We'll be working with Mayo and um, University of Washington in St. Louis next year to host these family days and bring families together. I went to England and Ireland. We brought families together that had never had never met each other. And the idea is you know, we start that, we start the family day, and then we get people to come to Camp Sunshine biannually where the whole global team can all come together. And then one more of our programs is research, um, and the advocacy falls into the research part as well. We travel to conferences, we educate physicians 
who a lot of the time they're like, well, I, I'm an adult treating physician. This is a pediatric disease. Well, actually it's not. And now they're living longer because treatments are, are working and we all need to work together. Um, and we fund research. We've funded $260,000 in the last five years um, towards telomere research. Man, Team Telomere is organized. You guys have a nice setup, and I'm going to take a couple of these ideas and pass them along. Yeah, <laughs> we, we, we have a good plan. You do it. Yep. No, I'm happy to help however I can, too, because we do have an amazing team that, you know, I always say, if you give me a plan, I can do anything. I just can't always make the plan, so... So Riley's graduating soon. He graduated. So Oh, he graduated. And now he's off. Yes. He graduated from high school. He's off. He's in his gap year, which is annoying, but um awesome at the same yeah. time. So it's a lot of like, what do you he works. So that thank God he works. So So how how has this changed oh. your family, do you think? How has this changed Riley? Riley spent a quarter of his childhood sick and not just sick, but critically ill. And I had three little babies beyond that who were watching their oldest brother be sick. And we had to separate for six months. And, you know, you don't know the ripple effects of all of that until you're sort of on the other side of it, if you are blessed enough to be on the other side of it. It's hard. It's hard work. But I also think, you know, there's probably trauma and there's damage and and all of those things. But there's also a lot of beauty in it. And I think that my other kids have a very deep appreciation for what is really important. They are kind, they are empathetic, they are giving. And I think that probably came from watching it firsthand, you know, and my, my daughter went from being, you know, the second born to really having to be the oldest a lot of the time. So there's a lot of pressure to wash your hands and don't get Riley sick and, you know, all of those things. But all in all, you know, we're still together and all six of us are in love with each other still. So that's good. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's definitely my favorite part that kind of flourishes in a family is just really sort of uh, embracing kind of the the small things that are so big. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. So can you just tell everyone who is maybe beginning this journey where they can find you, where they can start. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. So I would definitely say go to teamtelomere.org. You will find a lot of resources in there. We have a video for newly diagnosed and explaining, well, actually anybody in the journey, whether it's a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle or a friend, there's a video that gives a very clear, concise explanation of telomere biologies. It's animated, so it's a little less boring to watch than regular science. And then all of our programs are there. We have a Facebook group. And then we have a closed Facebook group for those really just needing to talk um, called Dyskeratosis Congenita that you have to be approved for. But there's definitely a multitude of resources available through social media and website. Okay, great. Well, thanks for sharing all of that information with us today, Katie. I think you're so awesome. <sighs> and I'm so glad I met you. Me too. And I can't wait to chat with you again. Yeah, me too. Let's make that happen, especially if you come over to Coeur d'Alene. I think that would be wonderful. So I'm sure I'll be there soon. Yep. So yep. I'll let you know. All right. All right. Thank you so much, Katie. You're welcome. Take care. You too. I don't know what kind of day you're having, but if you need a little pick-me-up, Ford's got you. <laughs> Yeah! <laughs>